There's a very weird part of each of our lives that I don't think we really stop and get weirded out enough by. Dreams. On a regular basis, we find ourselves in this strange world, and we don't know how we got there, we don't really stop to think about why we're there, and we're faced with beautiful or strange or confusing or fantastic or scary scenarios, and we do and see these amazing things. And the scope is so far beyond our normal lives. We can fly. We're chased by terrifying people or beings. We see bizarre creatures. The plot line makes no sense. We're in our house, but it doesn't really look like our house, you know? What's going on with that? What are dreams? And are they here for a purpose? Why are they like they are? Well, we've got our questions. It's time to go searching for answers. Stay tuned. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Swedenborg and Life. We're going to look at dreams today, which is cool because I had dreams last night and I sort of remember them, but I don't remember what they're about, but I sort of remember the feeling and a little bit of like a picture, the color of the emotion of it, you know what I'm talking about? Weird stuff. We're going to pick it apart today. My name is Curtis. I'm with the Swedenborg Foundation, which is a non-profit group that does cool stuff. Now, there's questions, live question and answer coming at the end of the show participate in the chat room, we'll get you on there and we'll hear perspective if you, if you have insights about this or if you have questions about it or complaints. But like be sparing with those, please. Just kidding, you guys have all been great. All right, let's get down to it. We named our show Where Dreams Come From, so we thought we would save money by naming our first segment the same thing. And it's where we want to start anyway, so let's do it right now. So here on this channel, the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, this is not the first time that we've talked about the origins of dreams. Actually, we did, we used to do this series of videos that was called the Swedenborg Minute. As you can see, now we do 60 of those in a row, which is this show. But it used to be we'd take all this stuff and condense it down to 60 seconds. So here, we did a Swedenborg Minute on where dreams come from. This is it. So take a look as our, it will be our jumping off point. So Swedenborg was just a normal guy. He was walking around doing stuff, publishing scientific findings. Then suddenly, he became viscerally aware of a spiritual world that affects everything in our lives. This included insight into the machine that creates these weird, sometimes touching, sometimes arbitrary, sometimes disturbing night trips that we call dreams. He wrote that at times, the angels around him would have conversations, and that the concepts that they were talking about would show up in his dreams. But it would be tailored to him specifically, because the concepts would come to him, but they'd manifest in his dream based on how he understood them, and the things in his own memory that were related to them. For example, there was a guy that Swedenborg knew who seemed kind of superficial, based on what Swedenborg had seen of him. So that night at one point, the angels were talking about superficial mindsets. So that got picked up by Swedenborg's dream brain, reminded him of that guy, and then BAM! That guy showed up in his dream. Swedenborg also wrote that some dreams come from heaven and are revelatory and inspiring, while some are induced by hostile spirits that are meant to mislead or frighten you, while others are just the spiritual world randomly messing around. 
So randomly messing around, we end that with. Isn't that just like some teenage internet phrase? Nah, man. I mean, all the stuff in that video is directly out of Swedenborg's writings. The the way it's translated is uh, so, uh, the the some dreams amount to little more than games. Uh, or or you know what? You'll see it here. So we pulled it all out of there. So that's where dreams come from. Swedenborg was hanging out, living a normal life being a scientist, and he began to become conscious of the spiritual world. And once he started to see that, not only did he begin to see the origins of the physical world, understand where we go after death, understand where consciousness comes from and where thoughts and feelings come from, he learned as part of that bundle package, what are dreams, why are they like they are. And so that's a summary of it, and we'll get into it piece by piece here, beginning with Secrets of Heaven, 1976. Here's where he lays out some nice categories for us. There are three kinds of dreams. The first kind comes indirectly from the Lord through heaven. So dreams from God. The prophetic dreams mentioned in the word were of this type. The second comes through angelic spirits. This is where the people of the earliest church received their dreams from. And these dreams were instructive. For more on that, see our episode, The Spiritual History of the Human Race. The third kind comes through the spirits nearby us when we sleep. And these dreams, too, are symbolic. Phantasmagorical dreams come from somewhere else. And that is your vocabulary word for the day. It means like deceptive or perhaps not as they seem. Um, So he learned those categories as he did with everything he reported through experience. Believe it or not, probably not, but we're going to keep going anyway, even if you don't. Uh, This is where he learned it. We've got, this is somebody's just reading his text, him describing spiritual experiences where he actually sees these mechanisms in operation into his own mind and heart. Are you ready? All right. Here, this is another number of his from Secrets of Heaven, set to a little imagery to try to tie it down, but it's really bizarre stuff. So you'll see, you'll see. Take a ride. To learn positively how dreams flowed in, I was put to sleep and dreamed that a ship laden with all kinds of delicious and savory things to eat, had arrived. The cargo was not in sight, but hidden. On the deck stood two armed guards, and a third man besides, who was captain of the vessel. The ship was pulling into a kind of covered dock. At this point I woke up and thought about the dream. Then I was addressed by angelic spirits above me, in front and to the right, who said that they had introduced the dream. To see for certain that it had come from them, I was put into a state of combined sleep and wakefulness, and they again introduced various charming and delightful sights. One was a tiny animal, unknown to me, that disappeared in a burst of dazzling black light, flying into my left eye with amazing speed. They also presented pictures of people and of children, decked out in various ways, and other things as well, with a sweetness that defies words. These too I discussed with them. This happened not once, but several times and every time they taught me about it in audible words. It is angelic spirits standing at the threshold of paradise who introduce these dreams. They are also charged with the duty of watching over certain people while they sleep to prevent evil spirits from molesting them at that time. This duty they perform with supreme pleasure, so much so that they compete for the privilege. They love to stir up in us the pleasures and delights they find when they look at our learnings and talents. 
From being people who, in their physical lives, had loved and enjoyed using every means and making every effort to render the lives of others happy, they eventually became angelic spirits. When the ear opens that far, one can hear from there a seemingly distant sound, sweet and tuneful like a song. They said they did not know the source of such skills and such sweet and beautiful representations that come instantly to their minds, but they were told that it came from heaven. They belong to the region of the cerebellum, because the cerebellum stays awake during times of sleep, while the cerebrum does not, as I learned. So a few notes from there. First of all, a little creature zoomed through his left eye. What's this with the left eye stuff? Um, also, angels love protecting people and giving them good dreams so much that they vie for it. They're like, hey man, no, it was your turn last time. I want I got it. Man, I'm going to give the best dream right here. Also, if you want to become a good dream inducing angel, you just got to live life and love improving the happiness of people's lives, right? And then finally, if you notice at the end, every if you look at our show um The Shape of Heaven, all spirits in the afterlife have relation to some part of the body. Those who are in the part of the brain that's awake, that's still functioning while you're asleep, are the ones who induce dreams. All right, that was a lot. That's talking mainly about angelic sort of dreams. He goes on to describe more about less beautiful, sort of more normal dreams. This is Spiritual Experiences 4404. Again, I dreamed a dream, but an ordinary one, as others do. So, like we, like we all dreamed last night. Someone spoke with me, And when I awoke, I told all of it from beginning to end. The angels said, so he's waking up and talking to angels. That's the life of Swedenborg. You know, he has a dream. He can wake up, talk to angels about what it meant. The angels said that it coincided completely with everything they had discussed among themselves. Not that they were the same things as in my dream, for the thoughts of their speech were turned into entirely different things, so that they were figurative and symbolic. Indeed, so were all the details, so that there was nothing that did not coincide. So there you have, that's the phenomenon we are trying to get across in that Swedenborg Minute, which is that the discussions of angels near Swedenborg created his some of his dreams. Uh, and this does not mean that if the angels are talking about something, you dream the exact thing or you hear their voices in your dream. It means that what they talk about flows into the concepts in your mind, and based on what various symbols, places, people in your life mean to you, your dream is arranged out of those things mirroring what the angels were talking about. Is that cool enough? Is that weird enough for you? Let's get further into it. This is Spiritual Experiences 4403. It was noteworthy that when I recounted to those spirits what I had seen in a dream, how I had walked, with which persons, how they were dressed, and that I had played with a ball, throwing it at a wall and getting it back. So he's just he's chucking a ball at a wall. We all like to do that. As well as a good many other things. Then they said that this all coincided exactly and was the same with what they had been speaking about among themselves, without the slightest difference, but that it did not portray the same thing as I saw in my dream, but that these occurrences were the mental imagery of their speech being thus portrayed. So, that's what I just said. So, all all and the least things they spoke of among themselves were thus pictured in my dream. And they were also told what I had realized, namely that these same conversations of theirs could also come down and be presented in different portrayals. 
thus in countless others than these, depending on the state of the spirits around me, and thence on my own state. Thus an infinite number of entirely different dreams could result from the same conversation or from the same imagery of speech. For human memories are receiving vessels for mental imagery according to its varieties of form and according to its states. So, there you have another wrinkle. The angels are talking, but it's filtering down. It's coming through the spirits who are around. So if you haven't heard, according to Swedenborg, there are angels that are in heaven. It's a state of mind. It's, it's also a place of spirit that we can all interact with. We have spirits who are not quite angels around us, closer to us. And so they're, they're sort of like, we almost share an apartment with the spirits mentally. So angels can talk, depending on how the spirits are around us, that can affect our mind. But any person, depending on the kinds of stuff they had in their mental imagery, can change what is what the people receive. So that any angelic conversation, you and I could have a dream based on the same one, but we'd have a different dream because we think differently and we have different things in the memory. Okay? All right, let's take a look at spiritual experiences 180. This past night, I also observed that there were spirits who presented dreams and that their life was dreams while a person is sleeping. When several persons are dreamt of, each spirit plays the role of one person, a fact that I openly discovered upon awakening, for then I spoke quite a while with those who were acting on the part of this or that person. So, I sorry I read that so loud, but I think that that is fascinating. You have dreams. Don't you have dreams where you're like, why was this person in my dream? Why were they doing that? Uh, that there are spirits who are acting out the part of people in your dreams, right? Um, and that perhaps this is what theater is in the next life or some component of it. Uh, anyway, that probably gets you thinking, wait, I had a dream about you know someone I love that died. Was that just somebody? Hold on, we'll get to that. First, though, let's, let's continue. We started angelic. We're kind of getting into the lower and lower dreams. Let's just take a look at a few more numbers. This is Spiritual Experiences 4102. The spirits all around me, wherever they were, spoke together throughout the night about a subject with which I was familiar, so that there was a constant kind of argumentative speaking, due to which I could not help awakening several times from my nightly sleep. Their speech flowed into certain symbolic portrayals in a dream. They told me that they continually conversed together and had so many reasonings and so many arguments on the subject that it was incredible. So, you have these like sort of more bickering spirits that keep Swedenborg awake because their arguments are disrupting his dream mind. And then finally, S-E-W-E-43. This is at the beginning of his spiritual experiences, why it's labeled this way. We, we've probably talked about it in another episode. I won't get you with the particulars. As for dreams in particular, I would like to say this, that they are brought upon a person by spirits. Dreams by which future events as well as truths are revealed are brought on by spirits of God the Messiah, but the rest by spirits who are not of God the Messiah. So you can have a predictive dream. I've known somebody who had a predictive dream. It was about what kind of car her friend was going to buy, and it really came true. Um, I won't get into it. But dreams by which people are deceived are caused by evil spirits, thus by the devil's gang. With some, the dreams brought on by spirits are only illusions, amounting to almost nothing but games. There's that phrase again. They seize upon whatever is brought to mind by the blood and by thoughts that have slipped by. Okay, so there's stuff coming in the mind. They seize on it. Okay, I'll tell you the story. 
I, we're getting mass outcry. Uh, my wife and I were once walking in a park, and she said to me, hey, I had a dream that my friend, friend X, bought a white Volkswagen Jetta. And we were like, oh, that's a weird dream. Uh, and while we were at the same park, her friend called and said, I bought a new car. And my wife said, was it a white Jetta? And she said, yes. To me, that was incredible. Okay, let's take a look now. The, the visits, that kind of stuff aside, there are some very, very potent experiences that people have where they are visited by loved ones in dreams, particularly when they have died. You know, if we're going to get all personal, like I, my sister died when I was young, and I saw her in dreams. And there are times when these dreams feel very, very real. So what are those? There's a clue here in Heaven and Hell 440. Being taken out of the body is like this. We are brought into a particular state that is halfway between sleep and waking. When we are in this state, it seems exactly as though we were awake. All our senses are as alert as they are when we are fully awake physically. Sight, hearing, and strange to say, touch. These senses are more perfect than they can ever be during physical wakefulness. This is the state in which people have seen spirits and angels most vividly, even hearing them and, strange to say, touching them with hardly anything physical interfering. So, spirits being the people and the angels, the people that have moved on, like the dream I was just talking about, we had a hug, and I was like, that. I felt that, I felt that. So you can actually have the, hardly anything physical interfering, is what he says. So like, the fact that you're in a body doesn't get in the way that it's like a spirit-to-spirit interaction. So I think that that's cool. So, dreams come from a lot of crazy places, they can do a lot of things, but why do we have them? What's the point of them? That's what we're going to look at in part two. Hey, everybody. So we're definitely going to talk about uses of dreaming. uh, And also we're going to talk about past mistakes, mistakes in the past. Sometimes you do something really bad and there's no way for you to take it back. Um, Last, in the last section, I got one of the numbers wrong. Um, uh, I said the wrong one. It was on the screen. and I don't know which one it was, but it was one of them. So I'm so sorry. And um, if you just send (laughs) write in your address, I'll send you $5. Okay. Now, let's get down to the uses of dreaming. This Okay, first of all, I just want to say, we're going to be talking about the spirit, but the spirit transfers. Meaning, when you're reading Swedenborg, he doesn't just feel content to say, hey man, um, here's what's up with dreams. He says, here's what's up with sp- the dreams of spirits. Like, he's so immersed in the other world that that's the kind of stuff we get. So actually a lot of these numbers here are about people who've already died and the kinds of dreams that they have. But since we are spirits inhabiting a body, we can pull a lot of that towards our own experiences. I think they're a similar phenomenon, all right? So dreams, there are different uses of dreams. One is they can be used to open you up to higher states than you could be when you were awake. And this is in Secrets of Heaven, 1982. Uh, Certain souls recently arrived from the world who have the desire to see the glory of the Lord before they have become such as can be admitted into heaven. Oh, yeah, certain souls uh, into heaven have their exterior senses and lower mental abilities lulled into a kind of gentle sleep, while at the same time their interior senses and abilities are made fully awake, and in this condition they are brought into the glory of heaven. 
But when their exterior senses and abilities have been woken up again, they return to their previous state. So, when we go into the afterlife, as Swedenborg says, we heaven is a mindset. you got to get processed a bit before you can really participate in something like that. But some people say, I want to see, you know, I want to see God. What's it like? And instead of them saying, no, you're not good enough, they say, all right, we're going to put you into this dream state because you put the, the lower things to sleep and then you can be lifted up. And so maybe our dreams here too let us sometimes experience sublime things that we just don't experience in the day-to-day physical drudgery. Uh, also, dreams can be revelation. And Swedenborg talks about this, Secrets of Heaven, 1975. As for dreams, it is well known that the Lord revealed the arcana of heaven to the prophets and others in the Bible, not only by means of visions, but also by means of dreams, and that dreams were just as representative and carried a spiritual meaning as visions, being all, almost all of the same type. Dreams of that kind, just as much as visions, flow in from heaven. The difference being that dreams take place when the body is asleep, but visions when it's not. Famous ones in the Bible would include, uh, you know, like the in the Christmas story, there's a lot, Joseph has dreams that tell them where to go, when a lot of other traditions too, dreaming, dreams, revelatory dreams play a big role, I think. Let's take a look at now at Secrets of Heaven 597. Uh, the most ancient church possessed, and this is, in brief, the earliest mindset. Church is an internal state, according to Swedenborg. So the earliest people that lived on earth that had the, this certain mindset possessed immediate revelation through direct contact with spirits and angels, and also through visions and dreams from the Lord. So instead of reading books, you had a dream, or you talked to angels, and that's how you learn things. Um, also, dreams can be reformation. In the spiritual world, like I was saying before, you get into the afterlife, but you have to be, you have to kind of clean up your act in order to get like up to heaven, you know, Uh, and this is a process that can actually be done smoothly and easily through dreams, through what Swedenborg uh, in the New Translation is called shattering experiences, where we go through hard times because that actually ultimately can free us of things like ego and that kind of stuff. So here's another video where Swedenborg is being read. He's discover- discussing these shattering experiences. Shattering experiences do happen in the other life. Shattering experiences happen to upright people so that they can shed the earthly and worldly preoccupations they acquired while they were living in the world and so that evil and false things may be removed, providing room for the inflow of good and true things out of heaven from the Lord and providing the ability to accept them. We cannot be raised into heaven before things like this are removed, because they get in the way and do not agree with heavenly values. Some people are shattered by fears, some by being assailed by evil things they had done in the world, and false things they had thought in the world, which gives rise to anxiety and pangs of conscience. Some are shattered by spiritual imprisonment, which is ignorance and deprivation of truth, yoked to a longing to know what is true. Some by dreams, some by a state halfway between waking and sleep, with a description. People who have claimed credit for their deeds seem to be chopping wood, and so on, with a wide range of variety. So just a little weirdness at the end. Uh, So that if you are doing good things, but you're just doing them so that you'll be better than other people, and you look at how good I am, I get like the top seat in heaven, you, to get you rid of, you seem to be chopping wood. Like there's something in this labor that's part of the reformation process. All right, let's take a look at a little more specific specifics on it. Spiritual experiences, I mean, 
4.27, Some, due to a special mercy, are prepared by means of deep sleep, and in the sleep by troubling dreams. There was also one who kept saying only, I am silent, and I am speaking, and this quite frequently. Upon being asked what this was, he gave no other reply. But I heard from others that he had been let into sleep, and I was taught that some are let into these sleeps and undergo purgings by means of dreams, perhaps also by short awakenings, until they are rid of the fantasies that they had carried with them. So, only if you really won't let go of things do you have to go through waking experiences, hitting bottom, is it, you know, something like that, where this is that you got to see that, that the way you're living you can't keep living like that but if you're if you're like all right all right i i want to change it's they have very very subtle easy ways to do it so there he's describing one there's one more secrets of heaven 1108 some remain in a state midway between wakefulness and sleep thinking little except from time to time when they seem to waken and remember the things they had thought and done during bodily life. Then they fall back into a state midway between waking and sleeping. This is the way they are purged. So real like real easy, soft kind of way. But it's interesting that, that dreams can perform that function. And you see a little bit of that here, that dreams do seem to help us sort things out here, right? I mean, not all the time. Sometimes they're just weird and confusing, but sometimes you can dream on a particular issue and it can almost feel like you've made progress or you, you have a dream involving people uh, that you, and it, you don't feel differently about them when you, when you wake up, right? Also, those, there's those studies on if, that if we are robbed of dreams, that if, you, if like they took people and woke them up right when they're getting into the REM sleep and after a little while, this caused them to just go crazy. So dreams are doing something for us, and perhaps it's these spiritual functions, all right? So there are some uses. Let's talk now about what's going on around us as we sleep. The point of section three of this show is not to freak you out. Because although we will be talking about the clash of good and evil at going after us while we sleep, that Swedenborg said uh, happens all the time, um, we're safe. We're protected. Uh, you may have noticed you've gone to sleep many times and woken up just fine. This is just letting you know, a little, sort of like, you know, um, it's like, oh, you know, they just uncovered some plot to, to blow up a, a something. And you know, if you never knew that was going to happen, you'd never know what was going on. So this is kind of like there's all these plots against us, but our security system, internal security system is so good that we're okay. All right. Here's Swedenborg describing some of this battle for us. What evil spirits want more than anything else, what they burn to do, is to attack and harass us as we sleep. But that is a time when the Lord guards us with special care. Love does not sleep. Sirens, who are witches deep down, are the main ones to attack us by stealth during the night. They try to flood into our deeper thoughts and feelings, but angels from the Lord always stop them, and eventually they are frightened off by terribly severe punishments. The sirens have also talked to various people by night, exactly as though they were speaking for me, imitating my speech so perfectly that it could not be distinguished from mine, making foul suggestions and persuading their victims of lies. One time I had the pleasantest possible night of sleep, filled entirely with sweet peace. When I woke up, certain good spirits started to castigate me for molesting them. 
They cast blame on me for treating them so horribly that, in their words, they thought they had been in hell. I know nothing at all about it, I answered. I was sleeping very peacefully, so I could not have bothered you in any way. Dumbfounded at this, they finally perceived that the sirens had done it by their sorceries. The same demonstration was repeated later to teach me what that mob of sirens was like. So you hear them describe sirens there, S-I-R-E-N-S. Um, and there's a lot about this. So these are these particularly bad kind of evil spirits that go after them. We could do a whole show called The Adventures with Sirens or something like that. The point is, there's this attack after us while we're asleep from hell. This is the world Swedenborg says he found once his eyes were opened. Um, but as you may have heard in there, I love that line, we're protected for love does not sleep, and that we are actually protected more, and that if anyone does try to mess with us when they're asleep, that's like, you know, when you're in a speeding, uh, like a construction zone, fines are doubled when you speed there. So if you attack someone who's sleeping, the punishment is, is twice as bad. So he describes that there, um, and did you, did you catch that, that, there, he, that evil spirits were impersonating Swedenborg, messing with other spirits, and so those spirits were like, hey, why'd you mess with us? And he's like, that wasn't me, that was them. There's this whole, like, there's this whole um, complex world going on there uh, that, that maybe we're not aware of. So let's get aware of it, all right? We're going to look now at the clash between heaven and hell. Those are actual photos of heaven and hell uh, that we have there on this side. So we have three examples of us being the little earth in the middle. Let's take a look at the first one here now that Swedenborg describes in Spiritual Experiences 228. I had a dream from which I awoke again and again, for evil spirits were attacking me from everywhere to the point where I was unable to continue sleeping. After a number of awakenings, when I was finally fully awake, I was being shaken throughout my whole body, and I plainly saw a kind of column surrounding me. I was able to perceive it by sense. As I was waiting to find out what would come of this, I judged that I was being defended in this way from evil spirits. I could feel that tangible column becoming successively larger. So here you have those elements of evil attacking, heaven defending, and here through some kind of column around him. All right, so there's number one. Now let's go back to our chart. Look, look which one is selected. Can you believe we could do that with a computer? Number two coming up. This is also from Spiritual Experiences 3184. So Spiritual Experiences, I mean, this is like there's a lot of dream stuff in there. This is sort of his raw data on the whole thing. Oh, and, and something about the Journal of Spiritual Experiences, it has confusing, strange language in it, and this is the prime example of that. Here we go. Moreover, there are other spirits who occupy the province of the left side of the thorax and chest, of whom I was sensorially aware at that same time, by whom those higher up are disquieted, for they want to be among them. Is that weird enough for you? Just, Just briefly, like I said before, all spirits interact with some part of the body. So these ones are the chest area. But because they are envious and desirous of taking possession, they are not allowed any, high, any higher than the upper ribs. Otherwise, the more they are permitted to act and to attack the ones higher up, the more the dreams are troubled and of no value. So, confusing, scary dreams are a symptom of this sort of war between higher and lower spirits. There are other spirits round about who also desire to attack them, but the good spirits do not fear them and disperse everything belligerent just like that. So there are, as it were, battles and victories. All this also made it evident to me how evil spirits strive to attack a sleeping person. 
and how the Lord at every moment is protecting every human being. So often feels like, where's God? God's not doing anything for me lately, but perhaps more than we think. You know, if there's this constant, while we're asleep, attack of evil, and God is defending, blocking and blocking, you know, for however long you sleep, hopefully more than eight hours. Uh, All right, so now it's time again, our diagram, we're down to the third, the third and final clash between the good and the bad that happens around us. It's from Spiritual Experiences 4026. Through the whole night, I was in a dream about different matters of a material and bodily nature, such as walks, hazardous situations, and the like, and this without any definite sequence. And awakening now and then, I heard angelic choirs, one after another, descending, whom I heard more clearly than usual. I realized that there were several evil spirits attacking me, and that the angelic choirs had been sent by the Lord for the purpose of warding off their assaults. The choirs seemed to be descending, but what they were speaking of, apart from the typical sound of choirs, I did not understand. It sort of seems like, sort of almost like a rock and roll rock and roller's dream, like Jack Black or somebody like, oh yeah, the power of singing is going to blast back evil, you know? And that's what he was experiencing. There was evil spirits attacking, but because of these, the way these angels were singing, it was actually pushing them back. And we did an episode about music. We want to check it out for more into how singing is the embodiment, or music is the embodiment of affections. So, there's negative experience. So the negative things we experience are a result of this conflict, um, you know, um, nightmares, that kind of stuff. But it, we're definitely not neglected, and you know, that we don't actually experience harm from these things because there's so much protection going on. And, and this next number that we're going to read is a, a or is where he really describes, or or just it's a simple little description, but it really points out how. Sleep is a protect, a spiritual protection. It's a very spiritually protected state to be in. This, from spiritual experiences, number 3364. As they began to work into me, I fell asleep, and then through passions that I would not have resisted in wakefulness, they worked into me, and I had an oppressive dream. Nor am I now able to describe what it was like and what the oppressiveness consisted of, for their passions are indescribable. I can only say that they finally approached me to kill me by a blowing. Then in a dream, I saw that they were approaching to suffocate me. Then I felt what seemed like a dreadful weight, caused only by the collective blast, I suppose, of their fantasies. There was such a kind of weight upon me that I was struggling back, but still struggling, I realized that it was the Lord working in this way so that I would turn over onto my other side. Then I awoke. A couple of things noteworthy about that. Initially, he says that, there were, there's this evil presence that's coming at him, and they were going to attack him in ways that if he was awake, he couldn't have resisted. But because he was asleep, he experienced these, these like disturbing things, but he wasn't harmed. And then at the end, the God was trying to flip him onto his side. He was trying to say, wait, turn over, you'll wake up, this will be over, right? All right? And another interesting feature of that is that he's describing an oppressive weight on his chest, he couldn't move. He seems to be describing what is often called now sleep paralysis or something very similar to it. And I actually get a lot of questions about sleep paralysis uh, on this YouTube channel. So Swedenborg doesn't really talk about it much in detail. So I thought I would get a current dream researcher to tell us a little bit about it. So this guy is cool. His name is Ryan Hurd. He's first going to explain the nature of sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis is a surprisingly common sleep symptom that comes when you're waking up from sleep or falling 
back into sleep. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and realized you can't move? And you try to struggle with it and it feels like something or someone is holding you down. You try to scream, you can't, you can't make a sound. With that comes terrified feelings of fear. I mean, sometimes it's so intense, people call it death anxiety. That is the classic occurrence of sleep paralysis. Now that's a medical term, uh, but what comes with it is a lot of very interesting visions or hallucinations or dreams, depends on who you're talking to, the way that they might describe that, that come along with those feelings of sleep paralysis. Now, it does have a biological origin. Uh, what's going on is you're waking up out of REM sleep, and when you're in REM sleep, your body is paralyzed. Basically, all of your skeletal muscles are, are slack. This is to prevent us from acting out our dreams and like swashbuckling, you know, pirates and whatnot and actually hitting our, you know, our sleep partners. So this is, you know, sort of the evolutionary function of, of REM paralysis. So in sleep paralysis, what's going on is that paralysis is continuing and it's happening while the mind has woken up. While your eyes might be open, you can see what's going on in your room and you're overlaying your dreams on top of that reality. So it's a mismatch of, of waking and dreaming. That's what makes it so, so interesting uh, and, and so difficult to discern what's going on. The one thing that people often say is that it was not a dream. It feels absolutely realer than real. It feels as if you're awake and yet you, you're having a vision at the same time. This causes a lot of fear and confusion and it just sort of all rolls into it. Now what happens with the visions is, is where it kind of gets very interesting because lots of people experience the same thing all around the world. And if you look through the history books, throughout history and in indigenous cultures around the world too. And that is feeling a sensed presence in the room. Something or someone is in the room and often this person or presence means you harm. That's the feeling, it comes with fear. Um, it's often felt at the threshold of a doorway. And then there's the visual hallucinations in which they actually can see someone at the, at the doorway. Sometimes it's just a misty figure or a shadowy figure. And sometimes it's a fully realized, you know, entity. It could be a person, a mythological creature, a supernatural being, an angel, a beast. There's all these different kinds of, you know, shapes and morphs to who shows up um, in these sleep paralysis visions. The sort of the fully formed sleep paralysis nightmare is when that encounter gets physical in which the, the entity can actually molest the dreamer, sit on the dreamer's chest. Um, sexual molestation is known to happen. Uh, as well as just being throttled. And there's names throughout history for all of this stuff. Uh, Pygmalion, um, the throttler, uh, you know, pan figures even in the Greek tradition were associated with, with sleep paralysis. In this case, the pan figure is coming to, to sexually molest the dreamer. The succubus, the incubus, these are all sort of terms that have come through through the ages. But people still experience it today. Uh, and they don't experience pan, they don't necessarily even experience a, an incubus figure, but they describe it as a demon or an alien um, or simply, simply a beast or a vampire. 
So what this tells me is that there's so much cultural variation laid on top of a very similar phenomena that we have something that's happening that's neurological as well as something that's happening that's deeply psycho-spiritual in which our own beliefs, our own interpretations, our own culture also play a role in the way that this entity communicates with us. So this phenomenon is occurring throughout history all around the world where you're stuck and scary beings, scary supernatural beings are coming at you. Is this a little bit of that war that Swedenborg is talking about seeping through into the conscious mind? So either way, if you have it, you probably don't want it. What do you do about it? I asked Ryan, what, did he have any practical tips, any, anything to help if someone's suffering from sleep paralysis? This is what he had to say. So I have a, a holistic sleep science approach to sleep paralysis, which basically values the biology of what's happening, as well as the psychological meaning and possibly the spiritual significance. Your own beliefs play a role as much as the biology of the REM paralysis itself. But the number one thing I tell people who are beginning to have these episodes out of the blue is that you're not going to be harmed, you can't be hurt, and you can actually get out of it in the moment using a couple of techniques. Uh, the number one technique is to try to move your finger or to try to blink your eyes. Uh, there's just something about the eruption of those little pieces that if you can manage some movement, the rest of your body will break through the paralysis and you can wake up, splash cold water on your face, um, maybe put on some comforting music, um, and go back to bed. And that's important because these things actually do happen repetitively uh, when you're anxious. So if you stay up all night to avoid sleep paralysis, what you're actually doing is, is inviting it more. Sleep paralysis can also be managed a lot of people have it because it's a symptom of another sleep issue, such as narcolepsy or sleep apnea, or another sleep condition, um, such as diabetes. Anything that disrupts the sleep basically can make sleep paralysis happen if you're prone to it. It has a genetic component. People talk about how they're, it, it's in the, kind of in the family culture. You know, their mothers and their grandmothers have had it. But we really don't know yet quite, it hasn't been isolated exactly what is that, that you know, gene expression if there is one. However, you can manage it if you're having sleep paralysis just, you know, occasionally. It tends, in that case, to come during times of stress and anxiety. And also, from a psycho-spiritual perspective, it comes in times of crisis of faith. And we really see this in the anthropology literature. When there's an individual who is at a crossroads, or they're at a cultural crossroads, where they have two belief systems kind of coming together, they feel out in the open, psycho-spiritually, and this, is, and this is what happens. This is when the entities come and, and do them harm. And, and it's, a very, it's a very terrifying nightmare experience. And again, it feels so real that you wake up and, and you're like, that, that was not just a nightmare, that was a visitation. And it's very difficult to shake those feelings. So if you're having sleep paralysis coming intermittently, paying attention to your sleep hygiene is the most important thing you can do. Essentially, get more sleep, get better sleep with less interruptions and watch for those triggers that disturb sleep such as caffeine intake after 3 p.m. or too much alcohol in the evenings uh, and if it's a stressful time of life you know that means that maybe you know it's time for some new stress management techniques in your life which of course can involve you know a bath before bed you know lavender in the bath bath salts music prayer contemplation 
meditation, you know, all these kind of classic relaxation responses are great for going to sleep easier and for reducing sleep paralysis incidences in the moment. So you notice that there there are physical things you can do. If you're having problems with your dream health, uh, check out his website more. It's in the description. But even if we're talking about this spiritual war that could be causing this stuff, it doesn't mean the only remedy is spiritual, that, that things like getting enough sleep affect it, because it's all connected. Swedenborg's talking about these spirits, and they're interacting with specific parts of the body and brain, so the more you can get that in order, the better. Uh, I would like to say, notice how he says that in his studies of, of the phenomenon, you won't be harmed. You can be disturbed, but you won't be harmed. That sounds very much like what Swedenborg describes. It doesn't mean that Ryan Hurd endorses what Swedenborg says. It just means that I like to look at current research and Swedenborg stuff, and where do they intersect? And what can we do from all the sources we have? What can we do to stick them together and get something that will get us a happier life? All right? So, that said, let's look at a strange twist on the association of spirits around a person and who's sleeping and who's dreaming and who's awake when in part four. So we formed this segment because in researching this this subject, we came across this sort of um, series of quotes from Swedenborg that, that describe this particular phenomenon related to the spirits around a person and how they and the person sort of swap positions in dreaming, okay? So let's take a look first at a diagram, a world-class diagram. Uh, so there on the left, we have a person. Swedenborg in this case, as, we, as the story will go, but could be any of us, and then floating up like they do, <laughs> uh, spirits, right? So this is, there's spirits with every person, uh, and so this is everybody, everyone's awake, but now let's take a look at some things Swedenborg says. First, some groundwork, uh, spirits do dream. Last night there were many spirits around me, about someone or several of whom I spoke in the morning, and I heard that they had been sleeping, and in fact pleasantly, as I also perceived. So sleep is also a state proper to spirits, as it is to people on earth. When I was nearly awake, but before I woke up, various lights appeared to me, something bright having glittering bubbles, something darker, then something colored. I was told that there are lights like these in their sleep, with variety." And, also, and I also realized that they too had dreams, and pleasant ones, without my having had dreams at the same time. For it is known that when a person on earth is in their company, the person has dreams together with them, spoken of several times. But in this instance, they had dreams, and I had not. So, you can be co-dreaming with spirits. Uh, let's take a look at our next diagram. Uh, in this particular case, though, as you see, this is how these diagrams are going to work. All this, Everyone's asleep. Uh, but the spirits were having a certain dream, and Swedenborg on the ground was not having that same dream. So those little dream catchers mean dreaming. So that configuration can apply as well. Okay, let's stick in our plot a little bit. This is from Spiritual Experiences 3792. Certain ones imagined in their sleep that they were about to attack me. They were also dreaming, just as I was, that they were besieging a certain castle. So everyone's dreaming together at this point. 
After the capture of which they were going to attack me, I had woken up in the dream, speaking with those who imagined they were awake, talking about the castle they were besieging, and saying that they would seize me next and tear me to pieces. They imagined that at that time they had been fully awake, as I clearly learned from them, but I told them that they were dreaming, which they would hardly acknowledge, still speaking as though it had really happened. At length, I think, they acknowledged that they had been dreaming. This is what the life of such spirits is like, namely, that while enveloped in dream, they suppose they are awake and have such fantasies. So, next diagram. A couple things. First of all, spirits, when they're dreaming, it's hard for them to tell the difference. But this is... All these guys were sharing a dream, but Swedenborg, on the left there, could wake up and talk to them while they were still dreaming, like, and they're sort of sleep-talking back to him, and he could come, no, you're not actually going to attack me. Oh, what? Really? We're not? All right, so that's another configuration. But then uh, we kind of flip things here. Spiritual Experiences 664, I wakened during a dream, and there was, there appeared to me a spirit who still continued the dream, okay? I could thence observe the state of spirits in dreams, which is scarcely different from that of man, for the exterior or corporeal things which remain in the spirit are quiescent, like the corporeal things of man in sleep, as I manifestly perceived. For this spirit could pay attention to nothing whatever except that which was then being turned over in his animus. He was talking as though he did not know what that he was talking, his externals were asleep, his internals were thus in a dream. So spirits in this dream state like we are. But listen to this next one, Spiritual Experiences 164. This is where it sort of describes that uh, that when we are sleeping, they are awake, and when we are awake, anyway, you'll see. I have sometimes pondered what the state of spirits was like when they are together with a person living in everyday life. For even I have doubted at times that there were spirits and angels around people as they are with me, for the simple reason that I did not sense them, being persuaded also by the commonplace reason that I did not see them. And indeed, <coughs> excuse me, I notice that usually their state when left to themselves, as they are when the person they are with is sleeping, was dreamlike in various ways, whereas when the person was awake, it altered, but still differing entirely from their state when with me is spoken of elsewhere. I mean that when some person was speaking or interacting with me, they were instrumental means, in such a way that they were not aware of what they heard or saw, as they admitted. Immediately after the verbal exchange, when I reflected inwardly into my spirit, then they seemed to come to themselves and to realize that they were lives by themselves, separate and separable from people. All right, quick, back to the diagram. That was confusing. It says, all right, so there's sort of a dreamlike state. Swedenborg is talking to somebody off screen, and while he's interacting with that, it's almost like the spirits with him go into a dream state. They're not aware that they, you know how when we're in dreams, you're, you're, you don't quite realize always that you're a person. Sometimes you're just observing things. They're what he calls instrumental means, so they're like facilitating the interaction, not fully aware. But when he turned and began to just contemplate to himself, they all realize, oh wait, we're spirits. We are these beings, and they started to come to themselves. Uh, so that makes me think of, you know how when you're, you sort of have two different minds in a way, don't you? I mean, you when you're your sort of social mind, and then your uh, self-contemplative, introspective mind, because if you're like talking to somebody and trying to make a conversation work and try to not look that stupid during it, you think sort of differently than when you just are alone and kind of contemplating your worldview and your story you've written about your life. And is that the spirits are sort of like asleep, like like they're they're lucid, but they're we're all focused on this person. But once you get back into your, hmm, they're like, oh, wait, 
on this spirit, and because of their self-awareness, you fall into this different kind of narrative or something. Okay, weird, right? Let's let's end that on just something happy. Uh, this is spiritual experiences, three eight seven eight. There was a certain one above my head who spoke with me, and from his tone I could tell that he was in a state of sleep, who spoke with me, and in fact, not as if he were asleep, asking this or that, and indeed as those who are awake, with such prudence that when awake he could not have spoken more prudently, so that nothing was anything like a dream except the tone. I realized that good inward angels were speaking through him, and that in that state he was understanding and expressing what they said." I asked him about the state, that state of mind and told him that he was in such a state that he does not speak anything but what is good and true, and realizes if it is other than good and true, in which case he does not entertain it or utter it. So in that state he was like one awake, but since he was in a sleeping state, he told me that this is a peaceful state. I felt his delight in it from the fact that I love to be in a like state, for then one is free from every care and worry about things of the future. In this manner, people also perform uses. So there's a guy, a spirit, that Swedenborg is interacting with, who's, you can tell by the tone of his voice that he's dreaming, but the things he's saying are wise, and they're true, and they're loving, and Swedenborg was thinking, well, how is this guy talking so clearly? Uh, how is his mind functioning so well? It turns out that he was connected to angels, like the inward angels, the higher angels, that were shooting this love and truth through him. And that he was, because of that connection, able to to say these things. And also even to tell when he was thinking about things, is something evil or negative or false coming into me? I know that immediately. So he sort of had this angelic mind because of this connection with him. And, And he said it was peaceful and happy. And that at the end it said people can even do useful things while they're in this state. So... That's a cool state. Uh, maybe you've felt something. Maybe you've had a dream that felt like it. Uh, if so, congratulations. All right, let's take a look at our last segment for tonight. So that title, Dreams of a Spirit Seer, warrants a little tangent here. That is the title of a book written by Immanuel Kant. And we are mentioning him not just because his name is Emanuel, just like Emanuel, Swedenborg with an E, but because he wrote that book, Dreams of a Spirit Seer, about Swedenborg. Let me give you a little timeline on it here. History lesson. Uh, oops, ugh, get off of me, Emanuel Kant. Uh, so initially, he like messed up my hair. Uh, he initially was interested in Swedenborg. He had heard about Swedenborg's accounts, wanted to know, are they true? All right. Then... He purchased the whole set of Secrets of Heaven, um, which at the time, books are a little big, bigger of a deal than now, when people are basically begging you to take books because nobody uses books anymore. All right, so he did that, and then he wrote affirmatively of Swedenborg to friends. We have like letters of his where he was saying, yeah, this seems pretty good. Swedenborg seems like he's a good guy. You know, maybe this could be true. Then like a year later, he published his Dreams of a Spirit Seer, which is a scathing critique of Swedenborg. It's like, oh, Swedenborg's so dumb, he's living in la-la land, that kind of stuff. And it's kind of like tongue-in-cheek, or, you know, whatever. It's, it's like satirical kind of stuff, right? So maybe he totally rejected Swedenborg. However, there are a lot of doubts about whether he wrote that because people were starting to say, oh, you like Swedenborg? 
you like the guy that talks about spirits and how they create dreams and stuff like that. Uh, so, because if he was going to do that, uh, that would take a hit on his career. The reason people think maybe he was doing that um, is because of how he wrote the book. It's different from the, his other styles, uh, his personal correspondence about Swedenborg, the, and other things like that. So, I don't, I don't know. Could be con- ended up liking Swedenborg, could be he didn't. I'm, I'm pretty okay with my life either way, but I thought I would tell you guys that tangent. Also, our second tangent is that we're not going to talk about this book. There's Swedenborg's Journal of Dreams. You'd think if we're doing an episode about Swedenborg and dreams, you'd go into the Swedenborg's Journal of Dreams, especially if you're doing a segment about Swedenborg's dreams, which we're doing right now. But we're not. Um, and the reason is, this Journal of Dreams is definitely worth a read. It's probably one of the first accounts ever of somebody writing their own dreams down um, and psychoanalyzing them. That wasn't a thing you did. Freud, Freud wasn't there. He was. This was a, a new thing. And also, this is an account of Swedenborg's transformation. He describes his spiritual awakening there. We're not getting into it because we want to look at dreams after Swedenborg had had this awakening when he had insight into full insight into what they meant. So because that that's going to give us the the most current information, right? But check this out on your own. Worth looking at. We'll go through it some other episode. No worries. All right. So we're instead going to pull dreams from his other sources, including his Journal of Spiritual Experiences, which was the journal he started right after the Journal of Dreams. All right, so let's take a look first at a symbolic dream that he had and what it meant. In a dream, I saw a field that was full of thick and fertile grass used as fodder for animals, such as cows and horses. And at the same time, in the same field appeared ripe grain, very thick, which was together with that thick grass. And this was on the other side of a river, and I understood that the river was called Euphrates, as if in Russia. Sounds like a dream. Now, while in the vision of the dream, I was in that field so planted beyond the Euphrates that the thought occurred to me that it would be useful if all the fields also in our land were sown with the same grass together with the standing wheat or barley." But in the dream I received the reply that if this were done in our land, on this side of the Euphrates, the land would be destroyed. Well, it would not in that land across the Euphrates. I saw still more things in the dream that I do not remember, which is just what you say if you're describing a dream. There was more, but I, I don't remember it. When I woke up, I was thinking, what was the meaning of these things? Finally, it opened to me, namely, that the land across the Euphrates are those who are absorbed in natural and philosophical truths, and want thereby to be confirmed in spiritual and heavenly ones, and otherwise cannot believe, for they are absorbed in them, and think in this fashion. Such thoughts are that prolific grass, in which wheat and barley were springing up in such great abundance that the grass hardly appeared." And it opened up to me that in the land which is across the Euphrates, it is useful. But in the lands that are on this side of the Euphrates, namely with those who do not care for those things, and nevertheless believe, and even love them, such grass or hay for their cattle, namely philosophical and natural truths, is not useful, but would destroy their land, that is, their minds and thoughts. These interpretations are from heaven. There were... Okay, a diagram will sort it out for us. These two different fields that Swedenborg saw were two different mindsets of human beings. It all came back to the human mind. These are correspondences. The mindset A is people who are looking for physical proof of spiritual things, and they had this barley and grain and grass. And mindset B is less concerned with proof. They're still interested, but they uh, are look. They believe 
in spiritual things, not contingently on physical things. And so the grass that's in the mindset, hey, were these continual thoughts of, of needing proof, and that that actually could spring up in people of that mindset with their wheat and barley, meaning good things could come out of their life even if they spent their time kind of testing things and, and, and needing that. But with the other group, of which Swedenborg was a part, uh, who, who you know, obviously Swedenborg was very interested in science and physical things, but it wasn't the basis of his mindset. To have those grass, those blades of grass, all those constant, like, wait, I need to prove this physically, come up, that would actually destroy the mindset that he had cultivated. So that's the thought there, okay? So that's, the, that's what Swedenborg was able to discern from heaven about the meaning of that dream. Are all our dreams about similar things? Who knows, man? Who knows? Let's take a look now at another of Swedenborg's dreams. So that one was sort of like neutral and obscure. Let's take a look at a scary dream now. And this has got two characters that he mentions by name. One is Zinzendorf, and the other is Dibble. These are real people that he knew who had passed into the spiritual world. So here's his dream about them. In a dream, Zinzendorf was there looking at me, and at the same time, Dipple, who looked like a wild stag, chained up. Zinzendorf saw him and loosed his chains, and set him on me. He rushed with fury, wanting to tear me apart and destroy me, but he was then torn apart by others. Then I came to a huge dog, chained up too, that also wanted to tear me up. But he rushed on a stag that was above me and ripped him badly. Afterwards, this monstrous stag was put in chains in another place. The stag was Dipple. He appeared like this, and in chains, which too were appearances, because he is not allowed to go around and destroy people with his persuasion, as he had in the world. Zinzendorf said that he had loved him, but that he had noticed that subsequently he had withdrawn, and that he had been such that he wanted to tear and devour everyone, and had done this in malicious tracts he wrote against everyone. This is what his character was like. I said that his style when he refuted others was seemingly full of knowledge and intelligence, but that when he disclosed his own sentiments he was almost a fool, as where he wrote about systems of doctrine, about religious matters, and about other things. It was his life's delight to refute everyone and cause disturbances. So, here you have people Swedenborg knew, and they're appearing as these beasts or these animals in the other world. In the language of dreams, which is the language of correspondences, this guy who wanted to lead people astray and mess people up through his writing appeared as this stag that was rushing to gore people and stuff like that. Because in the spiritual world, our nature manifests in these dramatic symbols, right? So that's where that dream came from. Plus, it's interesting, all right? So, after that, ooh, we got to get ourselves something happy, right? So here is a, a dream from Swedenborg's Secrets of Heaven, number 5051, in which he describes a, a vision that, or, you know, a, a dream that he was having. Once in a peaceful dream, I saw several trees and a wooden planter. One of them was tall, another was shorter, and two were small. The shorter tree gave me intense delight. During the dream, my mind was filled with a wonderful calm that I cannot describe. After waking up, I talked with the spirits who had brought me the dream. They were angelic spirits, and they told me that what I had seen symbolized marriage love. The tall tree symbolized a husband, the shorter tree a wife, and the two small trees children. They also said that the wonderful calm filling my mind showed the nature of the enchanting peace felt by the inhabitants of the other world who had lived lives of genuine marriage love. There is this 
vision that he's having of the the blessedness of marriage love of of the heavenly marriage and so he got explained exactly what it meant and instead of using people trees were used which trees are this often a correspondence for people that we can be represented by trees all right two more categories of dreams first a religious dream that he had where he actually got to see jesus or see god the lord was seen by me in a dream with a face and form in which he had been when he was in the world he was such that interiorly he was full and so could have ruled the whole heaven within there was a certain one at no great distance from himself on whom he gazed and then raised the eyes slightly and thus knew who and of what quality he was and he often slept as it were with the eyes and when he was withdrawn into himself when also i awakened i saw him obscurely and it was stated that such had been his appearance in a word he was filled with heaven and the divine so apparently swedenborg saw jesus as jesus looked in the world all right and then finally like maybe you guys do swedenborg dreamed about work he dreamed about his work and at the time his work was writing this stuff that you and i are reading so here's him describing that spiritual experiences 4179 throughout the whole night many acquaintances were around me and i slept and i was with them and i saw them in sleep impersonating others and spoke with them when i awoke their identity was exposed <clears throat> and i spoke with them and i dreamt that i had come to a demolished temple where only the ruins of altener remained when I came to one of them, I began to sink down, causing me to feel horror. The Swedish word is hisna, that I might fall down into the depth. And then I awoke. The dream symbolized the condition today of the magnificent temple of the Lord, his word, that only such ruins are left that easily fall away. So Swedenborg, what a big part of his charge was, I mean, what he was writing the whole Secrets of Heavens about was explaining the Bible, I mean, the meaning of the revelation and that in his day the christian church had taken it in such a bad direction that it was like a ruined temple and you see that same thing popping up here but it involves none other than swedenborg's father so this is the final one spiritual experiences 4191 again certain ones spoke within the sphere of angelic spirits while i was asleep in consequence of which i dreamed that my father in this lifetime had fallen into the water and sunk to a considerable depth but that i had lifted him up and brought him to the shore upon my awakening they said that they were speaking of the things which i had written from the word the word with me was represented in the first instance by my father in his lifetime thus their discourses fell into such a representative for some reason i find that touching um that, uh, you know, it's like, oh, his, his dad is in the water. He's got to try to pull him out. And this was Swedenborg trying to sort of save the Christian religion or, or save the understanding of that revelation, you know? Um, maybe it doesn't to you, but, but to me, it's like, that's what he was trying to do. That's a little bit moving, all right? Hopefully something in this episode was moving to you. And if anything was moving in any positive way, please give this video a like. It's real easy to do, and it helps us out in the world of YouTube and algorithms and getting the video out. The same effect comes about if you subscribe. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this channel. You'll get our new videos, and you'll help increase the reach of this channel and, and find new people that we can confuse through it. All right, we're going to get to your live questions and, and live answers on the other side of this quick break, so get them in now.
job because there's a ton of questions. Uh, we may or may not be able to get to them all, but we're going to get to some of them right now. Really appreciate your your participation in it. It's really awesome, and, and I'll do my best to fumble through this. Let's take a look at the first one. What is consciousness, Sid? Oh, an easy one to start. Um, so when I, I was just on a little trip, and while I was driving, I was listening to a podcast with my wife, and that podcast was called TED Radio Hour. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but there was a one or two we listened to that was all about what is consciousness, you know? So they didn't really know. Uh, all these scientist guys that are trying to figure it out, but you know the hard problem of consciousness. So how could I presume to sidestep all that and say I know what consciousness is? Um, and there wasn't the same kind of what is consciousness conundrum in Swedenborg's day, so he doesn't do a lot of addressing it. I do know that he says that our life and our ability to perceive and sense things comes from the Lord. Right. This is a, this is something that is not intrinsic to us. So it wouldn't even be intrinsic to the biological structure of a human being. This is a constant flowing in. With it, we are we're, our shape is the receiver of that. But the ability to do that, to perceive and be conscious, this is a divine inflow. So, as a semi lame answer, it's God in some way. God is giving us this ability. I don't know, man. That's the best I can do, because uh, I don't want to make TED Radio Hour mad. Okay, let's take a look at the next one. This is River Flow. Are there angels living on earth? I work a lot with children, and they say that I'm so kind, affectionate, and caring. Where do you think this comes from? Well, man, there are angels on earth, meaning what Swedenborg uses to describe the mindset, or to describe angels, is he says that it's a person who has been reborn, meaning doesn't care about themselves more than other people, actually cares about the common good, lives a life of love. That we can be angels in our bodies. Our minds can be with heaven, in tune with heaven, while we're living in the world. He says that that is something that can happen. So if, if we push away what's bad, bring in what's good, we can be angels, man. And if the kids think you are, maybe you are. You know. Also, people will talk about having experiences where they see angels do things. That could well happen. I don't know if Swedenborg never mentions like like an angel actually like living a whole life on earth, but maybe there's these dip-ins um, for all kinds of help. So you, we can be the angels, though. We can do it, and we can actually, you know, like that person in the dream that was described, have the angels coming out of your mouth, you know, if you, if you really get in a good groove. All right, let's take a look at the next one. Uh, this is Cherisha, or Cherisha. What about when you can't sleep, can spirits or angels speak to you clearer in reality, since reality starts feeling like a dream after being sleep-deprived for a couple days? Oh, man. I've never, like, I know I've not slept for one night. I don't think I've ever not slept for two full nights in a row. So I can't say I know anything about that from experience, although you certainly, like, will hear about people getting what are called hallucinations and that kind of thing. Uh, it seems like it could be possible because, like we're talking about this protective barriers and those kinds of things, the more the physical gets messed up, the more that kind of stuff breaks down. That's why, you know, depression, all that stuff has a physical component to it. So I would imagine the more we mess with our sleep system, the more that veil kind of punctures itself. Uh, there's probably a lot more to be said about that. Do people intentionally sleep deprive themselves to get things? I don't know. Um, but that's where I'll leave that one for now. All right. Thank you very much. Next one. Ginger. 
Does Swedenborg say anything about seeing spirits but not being able to see their face? I believe I've had a few since I was a kid. I knew they were not of this realm. Mm, very, very interesting. And I'm racking my brain for specific um, instances of that. I know that that is super common in near-death experiences. Um, uh, that they'll see being like I knew it was a being, but it was so much light that I couldn't. There's a lot of descriptions of sort of anonymous beings that way. Um, and Swedenborg will describe angels, like higher angels, that he that he had a hard time perceiving or had to speak through intermediate spirits. I don't know if I know of that specific imagery, um, but just because I can't remember whether or not something is in Swedenborg doesn't mean it's not happening. I mean, it could very well be that, you know, that is some kind of, that you have to have spiritual eyes open for that and something about not having a focus yet, you know, especially if you were young, uh, it seems like it could definitely work. The answer is, I don't know if he says that or not, but if I find something, I'll let you know. All right, so thank you very much. Uh, next one, Joshua. I rarely remember my dreams. Does this have any significance? How can I improve my receptivity remembrance of dreams? Um, I don't think it has, I'm not a dream expert. You could talk to dream experts. I don't think it has significance like if you if you don't remember your dreams, good stuff can't still be happening in them. Like I think about those dreams that we heard about where people are being sort of reformed, that work can be done even if we're not necessarily fully participatory in them. You know what I'm saying? Um, and improve my receptivity, resemblance of dreams. I just want to say from a layman's perspective, um, when I start to write down the dreams I do remember, I start to remember my dreams more. I've only done it uh, a few times where I journaled dreams, but it seemed like that immediately affected the kinds of dreams that I had. All right, let's take a look at the next one. Mark, did Swedenborg ever have any visions that came true? Um, I mean, as reported, yes. Uh, he, the most famous, if you go, if you just go to his Wikipedia page, you'll see a few of these. I mean, there was, the most famous one probably is the Stockholm fire. This was, he was, in another town, uh, you know, I don't, I don't remember how far it was, but at least a day's journey away from where he lived. Uh, he was at a dinner party and with a lot of people there, and he started to look really worried. And everyone was saying, what is the matter, Swedenborg? And he said, there's a fire in my hometown, and it's burning. And they're like, what was he talking? This is, remember, there's no telephone back in those, there's nothing that can move faster than a person on a horse, you know, so there's, there's not, no way he could have, like, been just looking at his phone and see on Facebook, oh, yeah, there's a fire, you know, he, so uh, they're like, okay, and then later in the evening, he's like, okay, well, it's out now, it stopped two houses away from my house, and they're like, okay, a few days later, they got the news about it, and it had happened exactly as he said. There was that, there was a time when he told a queen something that only uh, her brother would have known who had died, there was a time when he told there was a, a widow who had forgotten where she put a receipt and she needed that receipt or otherwise she was going to have to pay a ton of money. He told her where it was. These are, have been recorded in varying levels of degree. You can go check them out. But he did seem to have visions that came true. Uh, okay, so next one. Sarah Jeanette, 
did dream interpretation mean anything in Swedenborg's day? Are these modern dream interpretation dictionaries now relevant to the higher consciousness or heaven, or does it take a darker turn? So yeah, what I was saying is that no, at the time of Swedenborg, there wasn't a practice, I believe. I, and I'm man, it's so funny that I'm up here answering these questions because I'm keep I'm not an expert in this, I'm not an expert in that, I'm not really an expert in anything. But I will say that from what I believe I've studied about it, um, there wasn't widespread or even any dream interpretation system when Swedenborg was doing that. It's part of why it was remarkable that he sort of analyzed his own dreams. Um, I would say there's probably a lot of good in modern dream interpretation dictionaries. Um, it doesn't mean that it's all correct, you know, that the symbolism there is all correct, um, but I generally think if there really is this truth about how dreams are, it didn't just come through Swedenborg, it's got to be seeping in through other areas. Um, that said, you know, you can hold it relatively uh, lightly, you know, look at it, research it. Does it seem to line up? Does it seem to make sense? Uh, what I and I also I want to yeah, that'd be interesting sometimes to go through what are modern dream interpretations. And there, there's a there's a couple different sources. How do they stack up with Swedenborg? Does it matter? Um, but I'd say give it a chance, but don't put too much weight on it. You know, if it's like, wait a second, I had a dream that where a fox did this. That means that uh, you know my father doesn't love me. You know, take it lightly, right? Because uh, you never know. And uh, sometimes that stuff can bog you down. So those are a few scattered thoughts on that. Thanks. Um, okay, next is Jim. Did Swedenborg ever go into future prophecies for Earth? I see a lot of YouTube videos about the end time. Yeah, man. Um, and I'm going to point you to, there was an episode we did called The Spiritual Future of the Human Race. And that that encompasses both. So it's on this channel. You can just search that title, The Spiritual Future of the Human Race, or look through our uploaded videos. Because that encompasses both what he said about the end times and what he said about future prophecies. Uh, a short spoiler is there's not end times. The end times is an individual thing uh, in everybody's life. The, the last judgment is your own moving into the spiritual world. There is going to be a new uh, spiritual awakening in the future, That's good, and there's a lot about it in that episode. So check that out, man. Uh, sorry to cop out and send you to another video, but they're free, right? Okay, so next question. Why do children have night terrors? Um, I don't know. It's sad, right? It's scary. And it doesn't seem like it's doing anything. So the why, why do bad things happen? There's got to be like, you know, you can sort of picture this like, oh, well, God is doing everything for some reason. But then also it's like, why do children go through any suffering? You know, I, I see, I sort of think it's sort of the intersection of why do children um, get physically abused? Why do they not always have enough to eat? Why do they not always have uh, parents that treat them very well? Part of it, why don't they all get equal opportunities? It, part of it is because the world is messed up. People are messed up, and they're sort of, we're all paying the price for that. And similarly, I would think the spiritual world is messed up because of all these people choosing evil. So sometimes that leaks through into a kid gets night terrors. However, in a level under that, God is using everything for good. So even if a child is having something that scares them, night terrors, um, some good is coming out of that. Whether that like teaches them some kind of resiliency or somehow the experience they have of that lets them, um, you know, they build on it in the future or it inspires them to go into something, I don't know. Or maybe it's, it's some kind of processing, even as kids we can do, I don't know, but something good is coming out of it. So those are my, those are my thoughts on it. Let's do another one. Why not? We're getting through these. Camilla, 
How can we develop our ability to recognize prophetic dreams? I have often done so, but only after the events predicted in the dreams dream have happened. Oh, man. Yeah. I I don't know. Um, is it, you know, if you've had them and they're not sticking out, uh, maybe there's not a magic formula to it. I feel like I had a predictive dream once. Well, I had a dream. I had an iPod. This was like an old iPod back when they were coming out. And in my dream, tons of happiness was pouring into this iPod. And I was going through really bad depression at the time, and or, or just getting into it. And I had um, a lot of happiness through just listening to music and like and processing things that way. So and look, and I didn't even think about it till much later. Oh yeah, that was sort of predicting that. So um, I'm gonna say, I don't know. I don't know how to, to know what the predictive ones are. I just haven't had enough experience with it. And Swedenborg, while he says they are predictive, he doesn't go into it. So our default answer, I don't know. Thanks for the question, though. Keep, keep them coming. Okay, let's do another one. Keith, does Swedenborg talk about how spiritual prophecy unfolds in the politics of the world, like described in the book of Revelation? Well... He doesn't, he talks about how it has unfolded. He actually, he he's makes some very interesting provocative statements like that there, that all these prophecies, that, that, that kingdoms in the world, which we would now call countries, um, uh, they do symbolize spiritual things and that all the interactions between countries has a spiritual origin and that, that um, he said that that's why in in the Bible, in Revelation, all these countries are mentioned because they are symbols for these spiritual things. And he says that in his day, where Christianity had kind of moved to Europe, the European countries symbolized those things, but he didn't say which ones did which. So um, other than that, he doesn't go into specifics a lot. But overall, his work on the the book of Revelation, a lot of that we explain is, is about this new spiritual era that's coming in. We talk about that in our episode, Spiritual Future of the Human Race. All right, we're going to do two more questions. And this is the first one. Sherry, do you think dreams can be controlled by an outside source on earth? Man, I would not put it past the physical. It seems like you can affect everything. I mean, that we're so, we talk a lot about spiritual, but you're, the, the, mind, the, the mind can be very affected by the brain. Um, there's already like there's research about you can have helmets on that might be able to pass thoughts. I think that I don't know. Uh, you know, I, I would say it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could have a technological thing affecting your dream. As to whether there can be a person or a thing around you affecting your dream, I don't know. Uh, well, the guy Ryan Hurd, who was in this episode, he has this interesting article on his website about how having certain objects in your room can help you during sleep paralysis because you remember that they're there and that makes its way into your dreams. So I would think so. I would think so. That's a good answer. <laughs> okay, last one. Here we go. Blender, what about flying dreams? And a lot of the songs I write come to me in dreams. What does Swedenborg say about that? Mm. Looking for what does Swedenborg say? I don't know how much I'm going to have to give you about that. Uh, I would say flying dreams are awesome, and they've got to mean something about... like Transportation has often to do with the mind. It's spiritually... Um, you you travel based on where your thought goes, you know what I mean? So is a flying dream sort of about an elevated state? 
you know, that, that we're, if we can finally master that moving, is it because, like in that dream, the mind can move around spiritually. That's, that's not Swedenborg directly, that's extrapolated. As far as songs coming to you in dreams, um, there certainly can be downloads of things from the spiritual world. Swedenborg even, I believe, at one point describes some of his books that he wrote, seeing them in the spiritual world, then he wrote them. You know, so we may be getting, you know, we may be covering songs in a way that come through the spiritual world. Who am I to say? <laughs> All right, that that's a good, who am I to say? That's a good one to end it on. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out, for for watching and participating, asking questions. Hopefully we've provided some a good starting point and an interesting conversation on this stuff. There's obviously so much more to it, and we could do probably 20 more episodes just on dreams, right? And maybe we'll cycle back and do one of those at some point. If you want the show to be able to do anything like that, 20 more episodes to continue going, please consider making a donation. Uh, this is a nonprofit group, as I said before, that that does this show, the Swedenborg Foundation. Uh, it's tax deductible if you donate. We'll actually have a grant that will match it five to one, so your your gift will go a long, long way, even if you just give a dollar or five dollars or something, only if it works for you right now. If it doesn't, don't worry about it. You can click this bar. There's a, a link in the description. You can hover over and click that little I on the channel page. There's buttons everywhere. Obviously, we're trying to steal your money. Okay, now, next week, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to focus like entirely on afterlife. We're going to be looking at a day in the life of an angel. So if you want to know whether or not you want to go to heaven, this might be a good one to check out. All right, so we'll see you next week. Same time. Thanks for watching.